Welcome to Southeastern Chapel Online. We're so glad that you've joined us today. I'm Dr. Greg Mathias, and I serve on the faculty at Southeastern as an assistant professor of global studies, as well as the associate director of our Center for Great Commission Studies. You know, this week also marks a special time every year on the Southeastern calendar. It's our Global Missions Week. And in light of that, I wanna make you aware of some exciting things happening this week for you. Uh, tune in tomorrow, April 23rd. Uh, we're gonna be hosting live interviews online with team leaders from all over the world in various contexts that serve with Open Doors International. To find out more information, go over to our website, cgcs.org. And while you're there, you'll also see some resources that you can use throughout the week, resources on the persecuted church, on refugees, and even a number of activities for the kids. We want the whole family involved this week. And if you would do us a favor, follow our social media. And as you happen to take pictures throughout the week, uh, when you post them online, use this hashtag, hashtag virtualGMW20. Now I wanna introduce you to today's chapel speaker. He's a good friend and a colleague, and it's Dr. Benjamin Quinn. Not only does he serve here on the faculty, uh, engaging our students in both the college and the seminary, he also serves in a local church. And I know that you'll be blessed today as he opens God's word for us. Again, we're so thankful that you've joined us. Uh, we're grateful as well for the many students, the alumni, and others from all around the globe who are tuning in right now to watch. Today, uh, we're gonna have one of our alumni who's gonna encourage us through the reading of God's word, and they're gonna be reading Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14. And it's in this passage that we're introduced to some amazing characteristics of our good God. We see his faithful love highlighted alongside his compassion. And that compassion is demonstrated in the fact that it says that he takes our sins and he removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. And that's a lot of hope and encouragement that I need, that I think we all need for these days and the days ahead. And so now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 103. Good morning. My name is James Bunch. I'm a 2013 alumni from Southeastern. Currently, my family lives in Prague, Czech Republic, and we are serving with the International Mission Board. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 103, 11 through 14. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us quiet our hearts and let us prepare through prayer for the chapel message. Pray with me. Dear God, we do come before you. And God, we confess that you alone are good and you are sovereign, and you are faithful. Lord God, even today as we are faced with multiple challenges, challenges in our own lives, challenges in our community, in our nation, and yes, Lord, even among the nations, we are having to face uh, questions and obstacles that we didn't think of even a few weeks ago. But God, in the midst of all of this, we know that you are faithful and you are compassionate. Lord God, as we have to answer questions about the economy, about jobs, about health, 
Lord, as COVID-19 has impacted uh, everything, even in, in including missions. Yet God, thank you for the reminder of your word, of who you are and that we can come to you and run to you and trust you. And so God, I pray that as we are encouraged today through the speaking and the preaching of your word, God, would, it, would you help us to find strength there so that we can be a light and so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us, Lord God, those that are fearful right now, those that have many questions. God, would we be the ones to point them to the God who is faithful, to the God who is loving, and to the God who is compassionate. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, use your word in our lives, build us up and send us out. And we ask all of this in the mighty and the powerful name of King Jesus, amen.
Southeastern. My name is Benjamin Quinn, and I'm honored as well to offer the uh, chapel sermon for today, especially on a commissioning day. And I do want to dedicate this towards those who are preparing to deploy and preparing for the mission field, even though it may be a little bit of a, uh, a non-traditional type sermon for that context. If you're 
If you have your Bible nearby, and I hope you do, if you'll turn to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. This will be our passage for this morning. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to read this for us, and then we'll jump straight into the text. Hear the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, and let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I surrendered to the ministry when I was a, a younger teenager. And a few years after that, I was grateful that our pastor back home gave me an opportunity to preach. It was actually my, my second sermon that I'd ever preached, now almost 20 years ago. And it was this passage that I'd preached. I was at this time, I was in, uh, I was in university studying the Bible, biblical studies was my major. I had, I had studied this passage as an assignment for a biblical interpretation course, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to sort of flex some of these new skills. And so I focused in on this passage for that particular sermon, again, the second sermon that I'd ever preached. About 15 years later, I pulled this sermon back out um, and wanted to, to re-prepare it, to reconsider this sermon, to preach again, actually to preach as a guest speaker at another church. And I pulled it out actually thinking originally, this will be helpful, it'll save me some time in preparation, but what I actually found out was what I had prepared 15 years earlier, I hadn't actually improved upon 15 years later. Some of these key and sort of piercing words to be doers of the word and not merely hearers, to be quick to listen, but to be slow to speak and slow to anger. These were things that, quite frankly, as I looked back 15 years later, I wasn't any better at. I hadn't improved on those things. And it, it really pierced my own heart and soul as I was re rethinking about even my own preparation for ministry at that time. And I, and I had to do a lot of soul searching in that process. In the meantime, and in that in-between, uh, I got married and had several kids. We have four kids now, and I actually learned something. Uh, I've learned a lot from my wife, a lot of things, most things I learned from my wife. But one of those things related to parenting in particular, she says this often to our kids, not just to listen, but to obey with a happy heart. Now, I remember the first time that I heard her say that, I thought she was talking to me, and she probably should have been. She was talking to our kids, don't just, don't just listen, and don't even just obey, but obey with a happy heart. And that was something that I've borrowed from her, using that language as we, as we talk to our kids and raise them. But even as I talk to myself, even as I talk to my church, that we don't just obey, but we obey with a happy heart. This passage in James chapter 1, 19 through 25, this is a passage that's not necessarily hard on the head. This is not one of those passages with a lot of high and lofty doctrine, so to speak, that's mind-twisting and mind-bending and difficult to comprehend. This is one that's, that's difficult on the heart itself. Not, not so much on the head, but difficult on the heart. It's a bit heart-bending and a bit heart-twisting. It's uh, the, the old song that we've sung for years, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. This passage cries out, Open the ears of my heart, Lord, so that I might listen and obey you. 
The context here of James, the brother of Jesus, writing to first century Jewish Christians, addressing problems in the early church in a somewhat proverbial manner. Some people will think of the book of James very much as the Proverbs of the New Testament. The book begins by talking about faith and patience and loving God even through trials and hard times, leading us to believe that these people are in fact struggling in a variety of different ways. James uses the remainder of the letter addressing problems and supplying wisdom for these early believers. And the heart of this passage, and indeed I think the heart of the entire letter, is James's insistence that genuine Christians, uh, that genuine Christian faith produces obedience. Genuine Christian faith produces obedience. If in fact we have been born again, the fruit of God's Spirit will be seen in our obedience, especially from verse 18 of chapter 1. What does this obedience look like, though? What does this obedience look like? James digs deep into this in chapter 2, insisting that a faith without works is dead. In our passage, James teaches that, uh, teach, James's teaching begins kicking up the dust on this very topic by focusing on two things that set up the rest of this book. First is obedience with respect to receiving the Word of God. And second is proper listening that leads to the doing or the acting or the working out of the Word of God. If there were a key statement for our passage, it goes something like this. We encounter James's intense instruction to listen or to hear and obey. And I have two main points for us this morning. Hear the Word of God and then to attend to and act upon the Word of God. Hear the Word of God and then to act upon the Word of God. And this passage is wound around four imperatives that we'll look at uh, very quickly and closely. Four imperatives in our passage this morning, three of these that fall within the first few verses, the first three verses, in fact. This is intensive language from James. It's an imperative, uh, these, these imperatives, an imperative in the Greek is much like exclamation points in English. If James were texting this information to you, it would be an all caps kind of language. The first imperative is this, the opening words, know this. In other words, he's saying, get this or listen up. If it's one of those places where you hear people teaching and preaching and they say, if you don't get anything else, get what I'm saying right now. And James is doing that in verse 19 of chapter 1. Know this, exclamation point, straight in then to the second imperative where he says, let every person be. That's the second imperative. First is know this or listen up. The second is let every person be. And then he flows straight into one quick and two slows. Be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's interesting to me that the first issue James addresses deals with the issue of the tongue, the issue of Christian conversation, that we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's start with this idea, verse 19, of being swift first to hear. I think Christians on the whole, as, respects to, as, it, as it relates to Christian conversation, Christians on the whole, if we're really honest, we're not very good listeners. We're not very good conversationalists. We're selfish in conversation. We tend to pay very little attention to others when we're talking, usually thinking more about what we are going to say in response than we are actually listening to the person who's talking to us. There are a few things more frustrating, isn't it? I was just thinking about this this very week. Uh, having a conversation with someone, and I could tell from the expression on their face, they can't wait for me to stop talking so that they can talk again. And maybe I shouldn't be talking so much. I'm sure that that's the case. But at the same time, can we pause for a moment just to consider how quick that we are to listen versus how quick we are to speak? You've probably had it said to you and certainly have heard it said, we have two, two ears and one mouth, so let us listen twice as much as we speak. 
Kent Hughes rephrases it this way very vividly. We have two ears and one tongue, meaning we should hear more than we speak because the ears are open and ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within proper boundaries. Also, slow to speak. Have you ever noticed how often the Bible speaks about our talking, how we use our words, how we use our tongue, how we encourage versus discourage others? Let me read through. I have a handful of passages just to hear the volume of the Scriptures and how important that it is that we actually use the gift of our words to bless others and not to tear others down. First in James 1.26, the very next verse after our passage from this, this morning. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Ephesians 4.29, an important passage that I memorized as a kid, especially when I was working in a construction environment, and I just needed this, this challenge. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, where there is a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13, 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. He who has knowledge spares his word, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. And then Ecclesiastes 5, a passage that comes to my mind so often, do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In other words, think before you speak. Listen first. Do what we can to cultivate that gift of the Spirit that is self-control so that our tongues might be in order and might actually be useful to build up other people according to their needs. Undoubtedly, there's a problem among the people that James is addressing with the tongue. And hence the reason that he dedicates an entire chapter to it in this letter, chapter 3, devoted to the tongue, warning us about how the tongue, much like a fire, though a small spark can start just a raging fire, or like the rudder on a ship, this huge vessel of a ship, but such a small portion of the ship that actually steers the entire thing. And then he addresses being slow to wrath, quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. Appropriately, James groups these three actions of listening, talking, and anger together. Why is that? Why would these three things go together? Perhaps it's because the big talkers often get mad the quickest. You ever notice that? The people who have so much to say, who have no patience, no time to listen, but oftentimes they're the ones who will get angry the quickest. James doesn't simply mention the anger issue, but he expounds on it further in verses 20 to 21. Put away and get rid of and receive this kind of language is what he continues on. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Look back at this passage with me, if you will, verse 21 and following. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And this takes us to the third imperative this implanted word that is able to receive, that we must receive with meekness, this implanted or engrafted word which is able to save us. You see James's logic here. As James imagines the kind of person who is easily angered, lacking self-control, he's reminded of the kind of person who participates in filthiness and wickedness. James isn't here referring to physical hygiene. He's referring to personal virtue. 
The hothead and the morally wicked tend to go together and they tend to be the same kind of person. We have to pause in a passage like this to ask the question, could this be us? Could this in fact be us? In fact, James, as I mentioned earlier, some people will consider as the Proverbs of the New Testament because he does situate his kind of teaching right in the middle of this sort of wisdom kind of theme where on one side you have the way that leads to folly and wickedness and ruin and death versus the other side, which is the way ultimately of Christ that leads to righteousness and to life and to love and living in such a way that actually gives life to the world. And James here is saying those who have no space to listen to other people, those who have to talk all the time and those who are quick to anger are much more part of or aligned with the way of foolishness and the way of death than they are, in fact, the way of righteousness. And on that side of the way of folly is a way of filth and wickedness is the way that he imagines it. As I said, he's not talking about physical hygiene. He's he's encouraging us to cultivate a personal virtue filled with the Spirit of God that the Spirit's gifts actually might manifest and fruits might manifest through us as we become more patient in our listening more patient in our temper, and more patient in our talking. Consider the alternative. Receive the word with meekness. This command, this next imperative, to receive the implanted word is not a command to be converted. I think the assumption here in James is that he's already speaking to people who are converted followers of Christ. But instead, he's arguing that we must accept its precepts, accept the teachings of Jesus as binding and seek to live by them. This is a command for the word to be made flesh in the most ordinary parts of our life. Hear that closely. This is a command for the word to be made flesh in the most ordinary parts of our life. Our listening, our talking, and our everyday interactions are critical for the kind of witness that we are and the kind of way in which we live before, the God, before God and also in front of the world. This is the word that we receive with meekness. It, I think it echoes even the kind of language that we recall from Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And now James is saying, Christian, receive the implanted word. How do we do this? Begins with hearing. And then it manifests in your life by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We also hear the the echoes here, perhaps, of the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, perhaps the most important, significant passage for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It begins with that word, that Hebrew word Torah, that actually is in English, this word hear, to listen, listen, and then to obey. And the second main point that takes us into the second half of our passage, not just to hear or to listen to the word, but to act upon that word. It's not enough just to listen. We must also actually act upon it. The fourth imperative is that we be doers of the word. Look back at verse 22 and following. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, this one will be blessed in his doing. The rest of our passage underscores this imperative to be doers of the word, to be doers of the word. We hear the word on a regular basis. I suspect if you're watching this, 
You're one who is on a regular basis involved in church services, perhaps reading the scriptures for yourself, maybe reading other supplementary books to help you devotionally, maybe even in other Bible studies outside of your church. You're hearing the word on a regular basis, but the question is, what are you actually doing about it? How is that word becoming flesh in your own life? As my pastor said, growing up in the shoe leather of your life, how is it actually materializing? Not long ago, I was teaching on 1 John uh, in a Sunday school kind of context. And 1 John 2, 4 through 6 struck me so deeply at that time and I think echoes even through this very passage this morning. The striking language of 1 John 2, 4 through 6, listen to what he says. Whoever says, I know him, namely Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John will go on to reinforce the great commandments of Jesus, that fundamentally what we are most called to do is to love God and to love one another. How's that going for you? How's that going? Where is the repentance and the realignment of the heart and the hands that are necessary for people who don't just listen to the word on a regular basis, but actually are manifesting it and acting upon it and obeying it in their own life? And preferably, as my wife has taught us, to do so with a happy heart. Now, that's another hard step in this. It's one thing to listen, another thing to obey. But it's yet another step, I think, in our maturity that we can do so with gladness and joy and happiness of heart. Perhaps for some of us, there might be apologies that are in order. That we might need to seek out people for whom uh, we haven't listened to well. We love to just bully them with our words or overtake them with too much talking. And there might be apologies that are in order Perhaps parents to children, perhaps spouse to spouse, perhaps pastor to parishioner, perhaps friend to friend. There may also be forgiveness that's needed in this process. James ties the first half of this passage together with this second by illustrating the fool. He illustrates the one who hears but doesn't obey. This is the hook or the hinge for this entire passage. He says, look, someone who hears this and then walks away and does nothing about it is like the man who looked intently, not just glanced into a mirror, but looked intently into a mirror, saw a problem, and then walked away and forget what he looked like. Imagine it this way, that you're sitting at a restaurant and that you see someone, perhaps they've got a, a big juicy double stacked burger and they take a big bite of it and, it's, and then they have a big glob of of mustard and ketchup on the side of their face. And right then, they don't realize it. And maybe no one's there to tell them about it. But a few minutes later, you run into them in the bathroom and you see that they're actually, they're actually looking into the mirror and they see this glob of stuff all over their face. You see them observe this. They didn't miss it. They're actually looking at it, looking closely at it. And then they turn and they walk right out the door and do nothing about it. What would you think? Just like me, you'd think, what a fool. What's wrong with this person? You saw that all over your face and yet you walked right out and you did absolutely nothing. And James is saying that when we hear the word and we do nothing about it, that's exactly who we are. That we have this glob all over our face. And we could do something about it, but we don't. We walk away and furthermore, perhaps even more foolishly, we forget. Our memories fail us. You know, Christians and the, even the, the history of God's people as a whole are people with short memories. Over and over, God is reminding them throughout the whole of the Old Testament story as we make our way towards the cross and towards Christ. It's over and over a reminding of things that God had already told them because they just failed to remember. It's as though they looked into what God had taught them, but then they just walk away and forget what they've looked at. And we do the same. When we hear the word, we hear it taught, we submit ourselves perhaps to our pastors and to our teachers and we listen, but then we walk right out 
and do nothing about it. We do this very same thing when we hear the word, the word that gives life, even when we listen intently, but then we walk away and we change nothing in our lives. And James says to us, consider instead this perfect law of liberty. This perfect law of liberty. This sounds counterintuitive to us because when we think about a law, we don't necessarily think about liberty. Instead, we think about something that somehow constrains our freedoms or limits our freedoms. But James is saying, no, actually the law of the Lord himself is freedom. Not, not God's law. God's law is not what actually limits us. It, it's actually what lets us free, what sets us free. God's law gives life. This implanted word that is within us that is able to save our souls and obedience to God's law is no burden at all. In fact, we are most alive when we align our ways to His. We are most human when we hear and obey as Christ. We are most like Christ when we delight in His law and when we obey with a happy heart. In fact, we echo the psalmist himself when we live like this, when we don't just listen, but we actually obey and act upon these things. We echo the psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. That's the kind of person from the inside out how we want to live, how we ought to live. Not merely listening, but allowing what comes through the ears to penetrate into the heart and then to flow back out of our lives for the sake of the world and for the sake of Christ. So what about you? What about you? A quick word as we, I want to make specific application here to those who are preparing to deploy uh, to the mission field. Just a word to missionaries as well as perhaps to aspiring pastors and ministers You know, this passage, as James delivers it to us, is written for all Christians. But today is dedicated to those preparing to deploy as missionaries. And I have to be honest, I've never met a missionary. I've been teaching at Southeastern for about 10 years now. I've never met a missionary who lacked motivation prior to deployment. I've never met a missionary who knew for sure that he or she was called to go to the mission field and before they left to go that somehow they were backpedaling or really just didn't have the energy or the encouragement or motivation to go up. I've never met that person. I've never even met someone who's aspiring to be a pastor who before they actually got their hands and feet dirty and and involved in the active uh, ministry of serving in the church that they somehow lacked motivation either. These types of people actually have all the motivation in the world and rightly they should. However, I have met missionaries and aspiring pastors prior to their engagement or prior to their deployment who, despite their zeal for God and His mission, they had not yet actually put hearing and obeying into practice. I've met plenty of people. In fact, I perhaps teach some of them now who they can't wait to talk instead of listen. And not only can they not wait to talk, they don't want to listen, and even further, they might actually be quite quick-tempered in the process. I just want to encourage those who are preparing to deploy to the mission field especially to listen to the practical parts of this message. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For I would submit to you that the best missionaries and evangelists are actually the best listeners. I can't help but think here of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, the great latter part of the 20th century evangelist and apologist. He went about it in a rather unique way, but he was a brilliant, brilliant human being in how he served and listened to other people and shared with them and led many, many, many people 
to faith in Jesus. But a number of years ago, I was, uh, I was involved in doing some work with, uh, with the work of Francis Schaefer and working with an office on campus to help just put out the information about Schaefer and his life and his legacy. And one thing that I, I stumbled upon over and over and over were people who knew Schaefer, some of whom had actually been led to Christ by Schaefer, all of them, with, with no exception, would say almost this exact same thing. If Francis Schaefer had one hour with you, he would listen for 45 minutes. And then in that last 15 minutes, he might take the rest of that time to share with you then the love of Jesus, to respond to what you had said to him about your struggles, your questions, and all the rest. Then he would take that last few minutes to share with you the love and the hope of Christ. But what, never, what I've never forgotten is that if he had an hour, he wouldn't talk. He wouldn't assume himself the great expert in all things apologetics and theology and culture and whatever else. Instead, he would assume himself the servant of whomever he's talking to and just listen. Listen for the better part of the hour. And I pray that this could become part of who we are. Having biblically faithful answers to hard questions about Jesus and the Bible and about doctrine, that's only part of the job. Being the kind of person who listens first, who's slow to anger, slow to be offended, that's a whole other side of the job description that is no less important. In fact, maybe it's even more important. Let us confess our shortcomings in this. Repent of our unwillingness to listen first to the Lord and then to others. Let us commit to being slow to speak and slow to anger, asking God by His Spirit to cultivate in us the virtues of self-control and patience and gentleness, lest we walk away from the mirror, the law that gives life, and forget what we've seen. And let that not be the case this morning. May God be glorified in our faith and in our obedience. Regardless of where you are in the world, should you be preparing to deploy now, Perhaps you're preparing for some other work or ministry. Perhaps you're active in ministry now, wherever that you are, as a follower of Christ. Let us be the kind of people who listen and obey, and especially obey with a happy heart. Let's pray together. Father, first, we are grateful that you have spoken to us, especially through your son, Jesus. And then by your word, the scriptures that tell us about you, that reveal to us the great story of God and who you are, and even invite us to join you in your mission of making all things new. And Father, I pray we would be faithful to that call wherever you place us. Regardless of what we're paid to do, Father, may we be faithful as missionaries and evangelists everywhere. But also, Father, let us not be those who merely hear. But Lord, may what goes in our ears penetrate into our hearts and then manifest itself in our lives, that the word would be made flesh in our lives, in every part of our lives. And we ask this for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom. Amen.
question that COVID-19 has radically changed and altered our lives in recent months. I know personally, I've never gone through anything like this in my entire life. And yet, even in the midst of this, uh, our mission and our commission from our Lord does not change. Now, the Lord Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all the nations, and we're going to do that. Now, it may be that in the next few months, how we do that is slightly adjusted, at least for some of us. Uh, but after that, we will be deploying men, uh, as our Lord said, to every tribe, every tongue, every people, and uh, every nation. Uh, one of my heroes when it comes to missionaries is a man named John Falconer. Uh, most people do not know him very well today, but he has greatly uh, shaped and impacted my life. Uh, he was born a, a, a British aristocrat, uh, wealthy family, privilege. He was also a world champion, champion cyclist, and yet he walked away from all of that to take the gospel to what is now the country of Yemen because he knew that they needed to hear the good news of the gospel of King Jesus. In God's amazing providence, and I must say mysterious providence, uh, he became ill there fairly quickly, 
and he would die and be buried in that country in the tender age of 31. John Falconer, though, went because God moved in his life in a way that he is moving in the lives of these students that we're commissioning today. And John Falconer said this, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Uh, we are today commissioning men and women that are going to be taking the gospel to Northern Africa and the Middle East, Central Asia, Sub-Sahara uh, Africa, European peoples across America, East Asian peoples, South Asian peoples, and Southeast Asia, and even the death. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to watch this video that's going to show you places where they're going, and also give you an idea of some of your classmates that will be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Southeastern Seminary is a great commission seminary. Uh, I suspect that's why you came here. I know that's why our faculty have come here because not only are they committed to their discipline, they're committed to using their particular discipline to train you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter who you talk to around here, you will hear repeated over and over again, every classroom, a great commission classroom, uh, every professor, a great commission professor, and by God's grace, every student, a great commission student who will become a great commission graduate and go out and take the gospel to those who need to hear the good news of King Jesus. Our mission statement is clear, and I promise you it is not going to change. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students, yes, to serve the church, but also to fulfill the Great Commission. In fact, we're convinced we cannot be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we're passionate about fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm so grateful that God has in particular called out this unique group of men and women to take the gospel to those dark places, both in North America, but also around the world. And so it is our honor and privilege today to pray for them as we commission them to go where King Jesus has told them to go and to do what King Jesus has called them to do. So let me invite you, if you would at this time, to join me as we pray for them and commissioning them in their going. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the wonderful salvation that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you are a universal Savior 
who when you died on the cross, indeed, you were the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And Lord, it's amazing that in the year 2020, with all of our resources and all of our technology, there's still more than 6,000 uh, unreached people groups that have either little opportunity or no opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Amazingly, there are places like that today in North America, in our own country. And Father, I know that has to break your heart, and Lord, it should break our heart as well. And so I thank you that you continue to raise up men and women from Southeastern that are willing to go uh, to the hard places and share the gospel with those who right now are, are very resistant to it. And yet, Lord, I already know in advance that your Holy Spirit is there working to soften their hearts and to open their hearts to be receptive to the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, as we send these families out, as we send individuals out, I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will watch over them and keep them healthy, especially at this particular time. I pray, Lord, that you will keep them safe as they share the good news in places that are hostile to the gospel and do not realize they have a great need for a great Savior. Lord, I pray that in the days ahead that you will allow them to bear much fruit as they share the good news and see men and women and boys and girls repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And then, Lord, I pray that they will become disciple makers, raising these men and women up that have come to know Christ, that they might go out and reproduce themselves among their people groups. But Lord, may it not stop there. May they themselves become missionaries to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Lord, it is Southeastern's privilege to have trained these men and women. It is our continued privilege to love them, to pray for them, and to support them. So Lord, let them know that as they go, they go with a band of brothers and sisters who will be here behind them, lifting them up to the throne of grace and asking that you indeed will work mightily through them for your great glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us the privilege of being a part of what you're doing and bringing the nations to yourself. And thank you. You have promised us in the book of the Revelation that in heaven, gathered around the throne will be a number so great that the apostle John could not even count them. And yes, there will be people there from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. So we go in that hope and we go in that certainty that you indeed are bringing the nations to yourself. And we thank you that you give us the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for saving us. And we thank you that you have given us a heart like your own, a heart for the nations. And this we all ask and pray in your saving name, amen.